following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. First, I want to say good morning to everyone, faith family, friends, and especially those listening online around the world today. Uh, I thank you for being with us this morning. Um, as we're ready ourselves to dig into God's Word. And I'm not much, you know, I've shown you before my excited face, my happy face, my sad face. So I'm not very effusive in things like that, but I'm, I'm really, my little feet are dancing inside right now because I'm really excited about this message. I, I think it's very, very timely. Um... I have, before we start though, I have a very important question to ask. And I really want you to think about this. If Jesus Christ will return right now, right now, are you ready? Are you ready? See, it's a very important question because only you can answer it for yourself. I can't answer it for you, you can't answer it for me. So as we go through this message this morning, which is going to, it's, it's very deep, it's like an onion, you keep peeling it back, uh, I want you to think about, are you ready? This morning's scripture is going to be looking at Luke 12, uh, verses 35 to 48, and I want to start off by saying that Jesus is coming back, and I'm here to tell you, you need to be ready. You know, Jesus came to this planet over a little over 2,000 years ago, and he promised, what did he promise? He'd come again. He'd come again. And today's scripture announces that here he comes. And it's a serious call for us to prepare for eternity. You know, this mortal body will decay. Our spirit will live forever. Are we ready for where our spirit will reside for eternity? You have a choice. God doesn't force you. You have to be ready. So if you would, we'll have the verses on the screen. If you have your Bible, um, I'd like to read uh, this morning our Bible. We'll start out in Luke chapter 12, verse 35. And it says this. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are these servants who find the master awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for several, and they may have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or the third watch, and he finds them awake, Blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Verse 41 goes on to say, Peter says, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? 
And the Lord said, Who then is faithful and wise manager, whose his master will set over his household, to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. And truly I say to you, he will set himself over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and eats and drinks and gets drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day that he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and he will cut him to pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did deserve the beating will get a light, receive, a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. We're going to talk about Jesus returning. All right. Not all Christians... <laughs> not surprising, agree on the sequencing of events of the second uh, coming, either pre-trib, post-trib, whatever. It doesn't matter. Here's what I believe, so you put it in context. The next thing that's going to happen on God's prophetic calendar will be the rapture of the church. Jesus will come back in the clouds, and in the twinkling of the eye, all believing Christians will disappear to be with Christ. And those who are not saved will be left behind. And then there'll be seven years or so of tribulation on earth. Then Christ will return to do the battle of Armageddon, defeat the Antichrist and his forces. And then Jesus will set up a literal thousand-year kingdom on the planet earth based in Jerusalem. And after those thousand years, there'll be a great white throne judgment described in Revelation 20. Now, you don't have to agree with me on the sequence of these events. So don't get too hung up on the details. Scripture tells us what's going to happen. You know what we should be hung up on? What is our main job? And our main job is to be ready for his return. But people have always been interested in trying to figure out when Jesus is going to return rather than being ready. I did some research on some of these prophetic things. Back in 1980, there was a NASA engineer named Edgar Weisenhut. And he used all his math skills to determine that Jesus was going to return in 1988. And he actually wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Take Place in 1988. He was so certain that the rapture would happen on December 10th that he said, if I'm wrong, then the scripture is mistaken. He was wrong. There's nothing wrong with scripture. So then in 1992, a guy named Harold Camping wrote a book entitled 1994, in which he predicted Jesus would return in 1994. And the next year, he wrote another book saying, much more evidence that 1994 could be the end of the world. Guess what? Wrong again. Who, some of you might not remember this, but do you remember the Y2K? Oh, my God. It's over, right? <laughs> Y2K, oh, the computers are going to go crazy and everything else. Well, you know who made those statements? Uh, I'll just give you a hint. His name was Camping. And it, he was wrong. And you can go online right now, and there is a fascinating, a fascinating collection of books that try to set dates on things. 
But Jesus said in Matthew 24, 36, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So anytime you hear someone start setting a date, I would submit that you immediately know that they're kind of off track. So as I said before, when it comes to the second coming, I am not on the scheduling team. I'm on the welcoming team. And there's plenty of room for you to join. Okay? In our passage today, Jesus shares three mini parables that teach us the importance of being ready for his return. The first principle is we should watch for the bridegroom. In biblical times, Jewish weddings were wonderful celebrations. And from what I've read, that after the period of betrothal up to 12 months, the groom would go to his bride's house, he'd take her back to the father's house for a celebration, there was a procession taking her back to the house. The wedding would include a great feast, a lot of music, dancing, and laughter. Now our weddings today are really quite somber and, <laughs> and sad compared to the Jewish wedding of Christ's time, you know. It's usually three hours we have to be out of the room or whatever. These things went on for hours. And in most of the New Testament, here's an interesting point, I think, that we, the church, is seen as the bride of Christ. Jesus is coming to sneak us away and take us to his father's house. He said that he's going to prepare a place for us and that he would return to take us to be with him. If you look at John 14.1, says, let not your heart be troubled. Sean Hannity didn't make that up. You know, the Bible had it written first. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In this parable, we find the role, we play the role of the servants. So we have to think about that. We should ask ourselves a couple of questions as I started this morning. Are we excited about Jesus' return? Are we excited? In the parable, the bridegroom has slipped away to get his bride, and we had to wait for him to return to his house. We don't know when he's coming back, so we have to stay dressed up and keep our lamps burning so we can welcome him when he comes home. For sure, the servants of the bridegroom would be anxiously waiting and watching. They were filled with the joyous anticipation. Is that the way you feel about the second coming? Is that the way? Are you excited about it, or is it something that makes you afraid to think about it? You know, there really is going to be a wedding feast in heaven, and it'll be there will we experience great joy and great celebration. And John caught a glimpse of this future wedding when he wrote in Revelation 19, uh, verse 7 and verse 9, Let us rejoice and be glad, and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lord, has, uh, Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Got to remember now, who's the bride? The church. And then he goes on to say, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. I believe he's talking there about the Old Testament saints and tribulation saints. But I want you to notice the key thing. It is a time of rejoicing. 
it's worth getting excited about. Do you know what the last recorded words of Jesus are? Anybody? Okay, turn to the last page of your Bible. That's the book of Revelation. Not Revelations. It's not the book of concordances or maps. It's, that's the last book. And he says, yes, I am coming soon. Notice how the Apostle Paul responds. He says, amen, come Lord Jesus. You know what? Comparing life on this planet today, and I live a pretty good life, and I'm sure we all do. If, if the Lord comes right now and takes us, I'm pretty cool with that. Because I, I, there will be joy that I, have prob- I know I have never experienced before. Complete joy. Complete celebration. Are we excited as the servant at the wedding celebration as we wait for the return of our master, of our friend? Our excitement level about the second coming will help us answer that question. But my second question is, am I ready for Jesus to return? Am I ready for Jesus to return? If we aren't excited about the second coming, it may be, and I submit, that we're not ready for him to return. Self-doubt. Confusion. I want to give you an analogy that might better understand. Sometimes I get drifty. But back in the day, on Monday nights in the fall, I would turn on the television, as most guys did, and there was the opening song by Hank Williams, Jr. Do you remember it? Are you ready for some football? And I'm thinking, yeah, I'm ready for some football. So I'm sitting in my recliner. I have my remote control. I got my Coca-Cola. I got my nachos. I am ready. But am I really ready? I'm ready to watch football, but not to play football. Watching and playing isn't the same thing. I used to play football, and I know the difference. I can sit in the arm, be an armchair quarterback with the best of them, but it's not the same as being Tom Brady. There was a famous coach of the Oklahoma Sooners, and he said, football was a sport with 22 men desperately needed rest or on a field in front of 80,000 fans who desperately need exercise. <laughs> There's a huge huge difference between being a spectator and a participant. Christianity, brothers and sisters, is not a spectator sport. The opening lines of the passage today was, be dressed, be ready. We have to be ready at all times. We're talking this morning and we said, well, you know, there, there are people, you know, you look at firemen. Firemen are ready, right? They go to the station house and they wait their eight, nine, ten hours. Bell ring and they go. Then they go home and rest. As Christians, it's a 24-7. We're always on duty. We should always be ready. Some of us listening today, I'm not going to be judgmental, may qualify as Christian spectators. That's for you to decide. 
we just show up and watch the show. But if you are, the question is, are we ready for the Lord's return? And you might say, sure thing, brother. But if we're merely spectators, we are not ready. There's a difference between being an armchair Christian and a real participant. And I think the next point will help us know if we're ready. We should work for the master. In this parable, Jesus speaks about the servants being dressed for service. As a servant, we don't want to earn our salvation. We work because we love our master, right? It's faith. Works are the byproduct of our faith. So, another question. i got bunches of them today for you. Am I actively serving the Lord? Actively. Great verb. When Jesus returns, will he find us hard at work, or will he just be an armchair quarterback Christian? I also think we need to kind of clean up our Christian vocabulary a little bit. You know, we have created a whole category of incorrect lingo about Christians. We tend, first, I think this is primary one of my concerns, is we tend to think that the ministers are only the paid staff. If I'd ask you who's the minister of the church, you'd say, well, Pastor Colin and Miss Shiva, maybe Sharon and whoever's paid, I don't know. But you know what? The New Testament word servant, uh, minister means servant. And every Christian is to be a servant. So every member of faith fellowship should be a minister. So ask yourself, are you ministering for the Lord? And, and you know, you, when you look at the lifeline and all the stuff that comes across, we have many different ministries here at Faith Fellowship. Awesome. And I hope the list, be honest, will grow, continue to grow as, as more people discover that they are ministers and they start ministry, new ministries to use and match their gifts. Most guys, well, I do anyway. There was an uh, Ameritrade commercial on TV where this uh, lazy house husband's reclining on the couch and his bossy wife tells him that the one thing to do that day was to establish an investment account. He says, sure. Then he goes back, watches TV, goes to sleep. End of the day, he hears the car pull into the driveway, and he jumps up and he runs to his computer with a couple of clicks he signed on. He rushes back to the couch just as she enters, and her first question is, did you set up the account? And his reply was, of course. You, you know, we can't wait to the last second and suddenly jump into a ministry. You know why? We won't hear Jesus pull into the driveway. He's like that. His return will be unexpected and in the twinkling of an eye. And Jesus is teaching here that there are some wonderful Marvelous benefits in serving him. You know, someone once said, serving the Lord doesn't pay much, but the retirement benefits are out of this world. 
And Jesus said in verse 43, it will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Good. So what was so good about it? Jesus says that he'll dress as a servant and serve them. Isn't that amazing? The king of the universe, the creator, will serve us. And hasn't he already done that by dying on that tree for us? The night before he was crucified, Jesus took off his robe, took a servant's towel, and he went around washing the disciples' feet. Can you imagine our Savior doing that for you? Are you ready for that? But that's what Jesus said. Another question might be, are we patiently waiting for our Lord? Now, I have to admit, and my smoking hot wife Cindy will probably tell you this, that I'm not very good at waiting. I don't like waiting. You know, if I'm, if I'm, I will drive out of my way to keep moving instead of waiting in a long line of cars. I might, I'll see a line of cars down here on first, and I might take a right and then a left and a right and a left just because I hate to wait. I get nowhere fast, but I'm, I'm, I'm moving. <laughs> Some of you guys know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> That's an amen moment right there, brother. <laughs> you know, our entire society, I believe, doesn't like to wait. That's why we have fast food places. And my goodness, if you wait more than four minutes, then you're already honking the horn. Where's my food, you know? But we don't seem to worry how they're cooking it. But we, we aren't very good waiters. Yet in verse 38, Jesus says that we need to keep on watch and waiting, even if the return of the master doesn't occur until the third or fourth hour of the night. Now the Romans, they divided the, the night into four watches, and each watch was three hours. So the third watch ran from midnight to three, and the fourth watch from three to six. And I think they were most like us. That, that's the time most people were sleeping. But they were at least expecting something to happen. And that's when Jesus will return. We don't know when. The, pa the message is telling us that we must wait patiently, even if it seems like his return has been delayed. Has been delayed. Now, like I said, I'm not a date setter in any way, shape, or form, but I can tell you that it's closer now than it was an hour ago. Uh, it's we better wake up out of our spiritual slumber. You know, there has always been people who've laughed at the idea of Jesus returning. You know, the second coming is. Ever watch Jimmy Fallon or Bill Maher? Great, you know, they love to bash Christians every now and then. You know, it's great fodder, great material for them. It's nothing new, though. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 3, and continuing in verse 8, scoffers will come in the last days saying, where is the promise of his coming? All things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. goes on to say, now don't forget this one thing. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, 
and a thousand years is one day. Now, I would submit that for many of us, it seems like the 2,000 years since Jesus made his promise to return, we might think that he, he died 2,000 years ago. But, the Lord, but to the Lord, it only seems like a couple of days. A couple of days. Do you believe that God's timing is so different from ours? That's why we must be wait patiently, but actively and expectantly. Patiently, actively, and expectantly. We must live each day as if he's going to return to planet Earth today. And then finally, we should do what I think, warn our neighbors. In verse 39, Jesus changes the image here. In the first image, Jesus is a loving master who returns and rewards his faithful servants. In the second, he's a dreadful thief who comes and takes away the homeowner's treasures. So I had to ask myself, why this dramatic difference? And I came to this conclusion. For some folks, the return of Jesus will be a blessed event that's to be joyfully anticipated. To others, the return of Christ will be a terrible, tragic-like event. So what will make the difference? I believe it's a relationship. It's a relationship. You know, servants, I, I was telling this morning, since, since Prince uh, Queen Elizabeth died, I've become kind of like an Anglophile, and I've been watching on Netflix this series called The Crown. Anybody ever see that series? You know, and it always impressed me that they go to Buckingham Palace and the people are there, and as soon as she gets out of the car, she doesn't even have to knock. They got the door open. They're happy to see her. They're always in place. And then she has all these uh, high-level staff people who really have a, per with the prime minister, with their private secretary, she had this private personal relationship with them. But guess what? If someone tried to break into Buckingham Palace and rob it, they don't have a relationship with the burglar. Do you have a personal relationship with God? If so, I would submit you won't fear his return. You'll look forward to it with joy. Have you ever been robbed? Two years ago, I had a really nice racing bike locked to my front porch. Woke up in the morning, the lock had been cut, the bicycle was gone. I felt violated. You know, it's like, what more can I do? You know, they had, they, they had to scope the place out and they knew what kind of thing to go. So if you knew a thief was coming to your house tonight, what would you do? What would you do? When Jesus comes back to rapture the church, it will be sudden and secretive, like the thief slipping into a home at night. And if you're not a true believer, Jesus will take away some precious people in our lives, and we may be left behind. Jesus said in Matthew 24, Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, the other will be left. Jesus said we must be prepared Stay prepared, stay prepared for his return 
because he will come as a thief in the knife. So ask yourself this. Am I telling others about Jesus? If you knew, Carmelo, you live in our housing area. If I knew there was a thief targeting our, neighbor, our neighborhood, do you think I would tell you and ask you to take precautions? Absolutely. Jesus told us that we, he would return like a thief at night, so we must lovingly warn our neighbors to take, take precautions. And by that I mean to be prepared for his appearance. You know, the best thing we can do for our friends and our families and neighbors is to tell them that Jesus is coming back and we don't know when. If I knew there was a bomb, a time bomb set off in the church this morning, and I knew I didn't know when it was going to detonate, would it not be my duty to warn you about it and tell you to take action immediately? Because if I refuse to warn you, then I'd be guilty of your potential of potentially causing you injury and death. The same principle applies to warning others about the judgment to come. Let me read you from Ezekiel 33. Verse, anybody read Ezekiel lately? Good stuff. 33, 7 through 9. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them the warning from me. And if I say wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his ways. That wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood that I require will be at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his ways, and he does not turn from his ways, that person shall die in his iniquity. But you have tried to deliver his soul. Anybody ever got someone? Anybody ever saved someone here? No, we don't save anybody. Christ already did it. What's our job? To arrange the meeting between that person and the Holy Spirit. That's our job. To, to, to inform, to make aware. Yes, Jesus is going to return, and it's our duty to warn them to be prepared for it. Uh, if I could, if the worship team could come up. I just have one more question to ask this morning. Could I face the Lord with confidence if he returned today? Now, you might think we, all we need to do is to be saved, is to be ready for the return of Jesus, and that that's the most important thing to do. So if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you have eternal life, don't leave here today before you talk to somebody about your salvation. You got the pastor, you've got me, you've got John, you've got Jerry, you've got Rob, you got Rob, Rob. There's bunches of folks here to talk about. We would gladly share with you the salvation experience. But if you're a professing Christian, and if Jesus returned today as I initially started, could you face him with confidence? In speaking to Christians about the return of Christ, John wrote this in 1 John 2.28. And now, little children, and I love this word, I'm sure the pastor does too, abide in him. John, abide and dwell, pretty synonymous terms. So that when he appears, we may have the confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. 
Now, John wouldn't have written this uh, admonishment until the possibility existed that Jesus could and would return and find some Christians ashamed. We would be shamed if we were hooked into some impure habit when Jesus returned. I, I'm not going to be judgmental. It could be alcohol, drugs, whatever. How would you return? How would, and I really had this heart moment of a little, well, a year ago today. A year ago today. How would I react if Jesus returned at the very moment I was chugging a beer? That's the question I had to ask myself. I would have been ashamed. Would we be confident? If, you know, teenagers used to ask me, uh, Mr. Fred, what kind of ex- uh, behavior was acceptable on a date? And my reply to them and would be, don't ever go anywhere or do anything that if Jesus came back at that moment, you'd be embarrassed. That's pretty good advice for adults, too. You know, maybe we have some unfinished business. Maybe the Lord's led you to serve him or to speak to someone about Christ and you keep putting it off. How would you react if Jesus returned before you had a chance to finish the job he gave you to do? If you knew for certain that Jesus was returning at noon tomorrow, what would we do differently between now and then? Will we be working the phones? Will we be knocking on doors? What Christians do we need to go to and ask for their forgiveness so that we can be reconciled with them? What people would we seek out and tell them about Jesus? And that's the point of what Jesus is teaching here. Don't wait. Do it today. You know, Nike had that logo, just do it. A lot of us have the want to. We're just a little short on the do it. God's telling us to do it. Live today as if this is your last day on earth. Are you looking for him? Are you longing for him? Are you watching? Are you working? Are you waiting with joy? Like John said at the end of uh, Revelation, Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we're just so thankful that you are such a gracious, forgiving God that you sent your son for us. And Lord, this is a clarion call for us to be ready for your return. To make preparations Lord, we make preparations for trivial things. And some of us haven't made preparations for the most eternal of things. And Father Lord, it's just a, it's a decision that we make individually. You've given us the opportunity. You've given us the mind, the intellect to make the decision. And we'll have to accept the consequences for our decisions. But Lord, I know that you're loving and you forgive each and every one of us. As long as we repent, confess that you are Lord of lords and kings of kings, and believe that you died on the cross, you were buried, rose again, and you did all that for us.
Lord, may these words that were spoke this morning resonate within people. Let us put them into practice in our life. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.